This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight on Huckabee, veteran U.S. Navy SEAL Jimmy Graham, former Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker, the clean comedy of Dick Hardwick, and country music's Billy Dean. Trey Corley in the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Gilbert. And now, here's Mike Welcome, everybody. Gosh, we've got a great audience here in our theater, and I wish you'd come and join them sometime. You can get free tickets by going online to Huckabee.tv to find out how. All right, this week, President Joe Biden, Secretary of Defense Austin Lloyd, and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, quite frankly, they ought to do our nation a big favor and resign. And... And let's just replace him with Mo, Larry, and Curly. <laughs> Forgive my bluntness, but our nation stands in humiliation and dishonor before the world for the inept, incompetent, and disastrous manner in which this administration exited our 20-year involvement in Afghanistan and then allowed the Taliban to take full control in a matter of mere hours. Getting out of there wasn't the controversy. Most Americans have felt that 20 years of war there were more than enough. And all four presidents who oversaw our involvement wanted to bring the troops home. But this week, our exit from Afghanistan was a goat rodeo. And the worst wasn't that the ill-prepared Biden team embarrassed us. It's that the sloppy way in which they did it put thousands of Americans' lives at risk and created an almost certain death sentence to the Afghans who fought alongside of us these 20 years and who were promised safe passage to America only to be betrayed in spectacular fashion and then left behind like worn out shoes. But that's not all we left behind. Over $83 billion worth of U.S. taxpayer-funded Black Hawk helicopters, airplanes, Humvees, and every kind of weapon and ammunition imaginable weren't brought back to the taxpayers here, wasn't even left in the hands of the Afghan freedom fighters. It was hurriedly abandoned and fell into the hands of the Taliban. That'd be bad enough if they had actually defeated us to win those prizes, but it's much worse. We just gathered it up and left it under the Christmas tree, wrapped and with a ribbon. We betrayed the trust of more than the Afghans in spectacular fashion. We betrayed the trust of our NATO partners, 
and we signal to our adversaries like China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea that with the Joe Biden administration in the White House, our word is dirt. Did you see President Biden's speech that he came out of hiding to deliver? After pointing fingers at the Afghan army, the Afghan people, and of course, Donald Trump, he pretended to take responsibility for the messed up mission. But you can't blame everyone but yourself and then at the end say, oh, but the buck stops here. After you've already passed the buck to everyone and anyone in sight. Doesn't work like that. Most disgusting was his flippant response to a question as to what he felt when he saw people lose their grip on the outside of a C-17 who were so desperate to get to American safety and freedom, freedom that they had been promised, so that they physically held on to the plane's fuselage as it took off, only to plunge helplessly to the earth. And when asked what he felt when he saw those pitiful souls beg for passage out, only to die a gruesome death of spiraling to the ground. He angrily retorted that that was four or five days ago. As if time will ever erase those images of human beings risking death to escape the brutality of the Taliban. Sadly, no one has been fired for the dumpster fire that substituted for diplomacy in this Biden bungling. And probably no one will. But I hope that whether you're a Democrat, a Republican, or an Independent, you will objectively be outraged by the incompetent failure of those entrusted to protect our nation and in whose hands our young servicemen and women live or die. We are a better nation than this. We can elect better leaders than these. And it's time that we purpose that we will repent of our sins against the civilized world and we will never let something so inexcusable disgrace our great nation ever again. As we know, thousands of Americans are still trapped in and around Kabul after the Taliban seized control of Afghanistan following the U.S.'s withdrawal from the country. Jimmy Graham is a veteran Navy SEAL and a fellow of the Centennial Institute. He was deployed to Kabul as well as Benghazi leading up to the debacle that happened there. That was back during the Obama administration. Well, how did things go so wrong all over again? Would you please welcome to the show a true American hero, Jimmy Graham. <laughs> Jimmy, Benghazi was a low water mark for our country in leaving those incredibly brave people there uh, without support and many military people who were involved in an operation and many more who weren't felt that that was just not the way that this country deals with our people. We don't leave people just left to die. This week we've seen something that by the numbers is even worse. React to what you've seen and does it bring back some very, very painful memories of what you experienced at Benghazi? Absolutely. 
It never dawned on me before Benghazi that you would call the number for America and they wouldn't come. Um, mm. It's never the troops. I know that for Benghazi, there were special operations forces that were wanting to go to what's called a, a non-combatant evacuation operation or a NEO. Yeah. That's the dream for special forces to go save Americans. It's the leadership. It's always the leadership. They still have to have the green light to go. When this happened in Kabul, I don't have any understanding of how our military could not have known that this was going to fail in spectacular fashion when they first brought the military out and then they started saying, oh, and we better get the Americans and those Afghans who fought with us out sure. after that. These plans are set in place before that base is built. You, you don't go into a place, I heard somebody say recently, uh, bank robbers know that, how do we get out of here, right? You go yeah. there, you do what yeah. you have to do and then it's time to leave. So you have to have a plan for that, but you can have a plan written on paper but then you have to do it. Again, back to Benghazi, there was a plan. It was, you, know, you hit the button for it to happen, then it doesn't happen. And now you leave people stranded. How do our men and women of the service feel as this is going down, as they watch it? What can we do to encourage them? They're, they're feeling betrayed. And I've been saying this all week in interviews. It's very, very important that we don't repeat that stuff. 20 years wasted. My buddies died for nothing. There's no honor in that. That strips honor from a family. It causes, it's costing, it, mm. it causes destruction. So we can't let that happen because it will harm generations. If you served in the, in the military, period, that is honorable. So you get, to, you get to take that with you. When we pulled out so abruptly, what do you think happens now to those Afghan people who had hope about America, hope about freedom, about a different kind of life, especially the women? To, to relate this to movies, because we kind of speak in, 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 in movies, I'm hoping this doesn't go from um, Kabul, Afghanistan, you know, then to Benghazi, then to Black Hawk Down, mm. where they are driving through combat to try to save American lives. Uh, and then we get out of there and then, you know, pull out of there, lose many men. And again, it's never the troops. These troops, you know, are ready. We don't ask, we don't demand enough from our young people. If we did, they'd win a war for us. That's what they're there for. Mm. So, thank you. Jimmy, uh, there have been reports that the initial word from the State Department uh, was that if somebody could get to the airport, they could get on one of those planes, but they'd have to pay $2,000 and, and be good for that. I, I've never heard that we've ever said to an American in distress, uh, you're gonna have to pay for your rescue. What on earth was that about? I, talk, I mentor young men going into the Marine, Army, Navy, Air Force Marines because I'm a SEAL and locally I'm active in my community. I have a business there and people ask, will you talk to this young man? A lot of times it's not about military. It's about being a man. It's about yeah. honor, integrity, accountability. Words must mean something again, and they don't. You can say whatever you want as a president, as a whoever, and they don't. So the only language these people speak is hard. You can't be a soft person saying hard words. It mm. just doesn't translate to them. That's what just happened. How did we get there? A leads to B leads to C. We've made very bad decisions out of luxury and they're coming back. We're, we're gonna feel the repercussions of that and that's just starting. And Jimmy, we've seen General Milley, leader of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, recently before Congress, act like that the greatest threat America had was uh, racism and white rage. He actually said that and I'm thinking, dude, you might wanna be taking care of business protecting our men and women overseas. Are, are you offended as a service person? to see a general more concerned about sensitivity training than, than being a strong, lethal force? I say, I say it this way. I have a group of people, you know, this amazing group back, back home. I know who to ask to give me the answers I want. 
Meaning if I, if I want somebody to agree with me when I'm negative, I'll go to yeah. that person. If I want to go, you know, if I, if I want the truth, I'm going to go to those people that have earned it. Like I just, before I came here, I prayed and I called a buddy Neil. He's a mentor. And I said, hey, brother, need a prayer. He bangs it out and we're <laughs> done. We call him the sage. Amazing things. They're putting people in, and I'm very patriotic, and I, I, it just doesn't come natural to me to speak ill of a general. They're putting people in that'll give them the answers they want. That's not the recipe. It never was. Jimmy, I want to say thank you for serving our country faithfully, nobly, and courageously. Thank you for sharing with us because your perspective is valuable to us right now. And uh, I hope all of your brothers and sisters in the military will know no one blames them for what happened. Amen. No one. We thank God for their service to this country. Now, for our audience, if you want to learn more about Jimmy Graham and his self-defense project for civilians, please visit his website, abelshepherd.com. Speaking of Able, our Able announcer, Keith Bilbrey, is going to tell us about the great show lined up for you tonight. He's going to do that right now. Well, coming up, Governor Scott Walker and later Grammy Award winner Billy Dean. Lots more Huckabee is on the way. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter. And follow at Huckabee on Twitter. And welcome back. Governor Scott Walker is the first and the only governor in American history to have survived a recall election. He ultimately won elections for governor in the state of Wisconsin and served two terms from 2011 to 2019. Right now with California Governor Gavin Newsom heading for a recall himself, we're wondering if he could be the second survivor or will he be given the boot? Would you please welcome somebody who might have an insight, a dear friend and a wonderful public servant, Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker. Good to have you here. Good to be here. Good to be here. This, uh, this situation in California is pretty unique because that is a deep blue state. And Gavin Newsom is underwater right now uh, with the numbers he could be booted out by the people that uh, normally would have protected him. Yeah, particularly in California. Remember, this is a lot different than it was 18 years ago when Arnold Schwarzenegger won a recall election. The state has become decisively more liberal and radical in its viewpoint. But Newsom is the guy that could really mess this up. And I would have thought a couple months ago he didn't have a shot of being recalled. I think every day that goes by, it's more and more likely. And a guy like Larry Older, for example, could actually sneak through and win that, uh, which would be awesome. It would be a turning point, I think, in America because every city hall and every state capitol, they're watching what's going on there because they know that if Gavin Newsom can lose in California, they may not have a recall provision in their state, but it means the next election, they better get their act together. Absolutely. You look at the West Coast, as we often call it, as radical and liberal as they are, I think people have had it. 
Um, and they've had it because of hypocrisy. You know, Newsom's not alone. You look at Nancy Pelosi, you look at heck Obama just a week or so ago, where they tell you one thing, oh, you gotta wear a mask, you gotta stay apart, and then suddenly, whether it's Newsom over at the French Laundry, where he was sitting with all those lobbyists having a, a maskless dinner, or what Obama did at his birthday party, I think people, even those who, some who've traditionally voted for Democrats, have said hypocrisy, enough is enough, we want people who tell it like it is and actually do what they say they're gonna do. I think you're 100% correct on that. And I sense that a lot of what's happening in American politics today is being driven not just by policy, the left, the right, the liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican, but by authenticity. Newsom is in trouble for failing to do what he said he would do. You were in trouble because you did exactly what you told the people that you were going to do when you were governor. Well, that's what the radicals don't like. They, they want... Republicans who get elected but then back away and act more like Democrats. What they fear are people, conservatives, who actually follow through on their word. The good news is the voters actually in the end see that common sense conservative ideas work far better than the left or many in the media claim that they do. It should be a lesson to every conservative out there. Uh, don't just campaign as a conservative, govern as one, and you're gonna stay in office. Well, you were a hero, absolutely. You were a hero to people across the country. Conservatives looked at your stand and said, you know, here's a guy that is not just collapsing and folding. He's standing tall and fighting back, but fighting for the things that matter to people, that the taxpayers and mothers and fathers would have impact on their children's school and not just turn it over to teachers' unions. And, and the parents just have to shut up and sit back and let it happen. Well, we're just trying to, uh, we were trying to put in place good old-fashioned common sense, which I don't think makes me a hero. It just makes me following the lessons. My mother, who, by the way, is a big fan of yours. She watches three times every weekend Huckabee, so it's a pretty good we deal. Love her. Uh, <laughs> but but that, doesn't, that doesn't make me a hero. That just makes me a son who, who learned from his parents to do what you, you know, say you're going to do. The real heroes are guys like Jimmy Graham and all the men and women who are fighting right mm. now who deserve far better than they're getting from Joe Biden but are still rising to the occasion. Absolutely, 100%. Let's go to the East Coast. Uh, Andrew Cuomo is gonna be shown the door real soon. He's uh, already packing up, he leaves Monday. Were you surprised that he resigned? I thought he was gonna fight it out to the very end. I mean, this guy's yeah. a pig um, and- uh, <laughs> What do you really think? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, what, what's amazing to me is he's not just a pig and everything he did, you know, we dealt with people who did that in state government. We, we had no tolerance for that whatsoever. Yeah. But I got to say, it amazes me that that's the reason why he's resigning and that's the pressure he got put on because this guy's policies sent thousands of people who were COVID positive into nursing homes. That ended up killing thousands of our loved ones. He should have been out of office long before that because of that act alone. That's a good point to make. And a lot of people, I think, have forgotten it. Ron DeSantis, Greg Abbott, both leading states, and they have been much more of the attitude of saying with COVID, Look, you're an adult, you can make your own decision about where you go and whether you wear a mask and whether you get a vaccine. They are being just vilified by the media. If you were still the governor of Wisconsin, would you have approached it more like them or maybe more like some of the other governors? Oh, I'd be very much in the DeSantis, Abbott, Nome camp because you know, you know this, my dad was a preacher, obviously you know this as a pastor. In the book of Nehemiah, God said before he could tell Nehemiah, how to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. He had to tell them why they came down in the first place. For years, I told my cabinet, you got to explain the why before you can tell people the what. Yeah. Uh, this was the real difference we've seen last year. Liberals tell you what they want you to do because they put their faith in the government. Conservatives, we should tell people why things are important 
and then have enough faith in the individual and the family to do the right thing. I'm going to put my faith in the family and the individuals versus the government any day. No small wonder why you were such an effective, popular governor and got great things done for the people of Wisconsin and still doing it with the Young America Foundation. Thank you very much for being here. And for our audience, I know you're going to want to keep up with Governor Scott Walker. Please do. Go to scottwalker.com. You can also follow him at Scott Walker on social media. Now, if Keith Bilbrey can do a good job telling us what's up next, he might survive the recall vote that we've got planned for him later tonight here in the theater. Go ahead, Keith. All right. Next, laugh out loud with Mike's In Case You Missed It news story. Later, author Joel C. Rosenberg talks Israel's enemies and allies. Stay with Huckabee. You know, one of the best things about doing this show, I get to listen to some of the best music in America provided by Amen. Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. Amen. Such fun. They bring such energy to our show. Speaking of energy, we got a little bit for this segment. We're going to go from petrified cake to weaponized spaghetti. Mm. We're just going to throw some news against the wall well, to I'll see if it then. sticks on In Case You Missed It. admit I'm a sucker. I love dog stories. So let's start in Nottingham, England. There is a couple there. They love their bulldog, Dave, so much, and they are so sad that he won't live as long as humans that they throw huge celebrations on all his birthdays. See, Dave recently turned nine, and his owners had a party for him that cost 3,000 pounds British. For those of you that need the translation, that's $4,200 in the U.S., They rented a boat. They hired a videographer to make a hip-hop video (laughs) starring Dave. And they got a cake artist to create a cake that was an exact replica of Dave in his little captain's uniform and cap. I will say he looked quite fetching. Whoa. Catch that one? Uh, Fetching. Fetching. (laughs) But I got a tip for that couple. You know what your dog really wants for his birthday? A stick. That's all he really wants. Yeah. He didn't like that little suit you put him in, I can assure you. (laughs) Well, speaking of expensive uh, cakes, Britain's Clarence House recently auctioned a slice of wedding cake from one of the 23 cakes at Prince Charles and Princess Diana's royal wedding all the way back in 1981. Someone paid $2,500, which is over five times the expected price, for the 40-year-old slice of cake. Wow. How hungry... Must you be? Some people just got too much money. They must have. (laughs) Anyway, you could get a slice of stale cake from a New York City restaurant for a whole (laughs) lot less than that. Oh, you've had that cake too. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, By the way, the auction house said the cake appeared to be in relatively good condition. But imagine this, Keith, they advised against eating it. I wonder why. I wonder why. (laughs) 40-year-old cake, why not? If it were chocolate, now it might be worth the risk. Yeah. Or a 40-year-old Twinkie. That's no problem at all. Oh, they'll last 40 years. Yeah, at least. No problem. Well, continuing our food theme from our Chef Boyard Don't file, (laughs) 
<laughs> Police in Clearwater, Florida, responded to a domestic violence call about an argument that turned physical when a couple each shoved a plate of spaghetti in each other's face. Now, when the officer arrived, he said they were both still covered in spaghetti. By the way, the cop was a little relieved to discover that it was only tomato sauce. Ah. Yeah. But he did catch them red-handed. <laughs> but using his noodle, he deduced that alcohol was a factor. You think? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, how did he come to that conclusion? Oh, wow. I don't know. Yeah, I think they were definitely sauced. Oh. In fact, these two meatballs are both pleading <laughs> not guilty to domestic battery. Hey, can you imagine how bad your cooking must be to have your spaghetti declared a lethal weapon? I mean, that's bad. Finally, 38-year-old Julie McCann of Vernon, British Columbia has an unusual talent, and I mean unusual. Since she was three, she has been able to run on all fours like a horse. She stopped for a while, but after having her third child, she decided to see if she could still do it in her 30s. And boy, could she. Julie set a new women's world record. Wow. Did you know there was such a thing? By galloping 100 meters in 23 seconds. Look at this. Wow. Really, no one should be surprised that she set the record. After all, she is a McCann, not a McCant. <laughs> We need to, I wonder if Trey could do that. I don't know. Absolutely. Maybe we should see no, if he Trey, could. You want to hop along over here and gallop over? I'm used to being on my hands and knees after a few weeks ago when I said that about <laughs> my mother-in-law. Yeah, so. you should. Well, afterwards, she felt terrific, though maybe a little hoarse after oh. all the celebrating. Now, before you, before. I knew it was coming. I knew it. Before you nag me for saddling you with so many bad puns, I'm going to rein this in. But until next time, remember, we read the news. Coming up, stand-up comedian Dick Hardwick, then country music's Billy Dean joins us right here on Huckabee. Next week on Huckabee, country music's Rory Feet. Well, tonight's comedian is open for superstars like Johnny Mathis, Reba McIntyre, and Kenny Chesney. He's been in Vegas and worldwide. He's entertained our troops with Lee Greenwood, and he's also entertained the New England Patriots cheerleaders. I'm guessing between Lee Greenwood and the cheerleaders, he might have preferred the cheerleaders. I don't know. I love Lee. <laughs> anyway, he's also performed at top corporate events, the Grand Ole Opry, even Disneyland. Would you please welcome the hilarious Dick Hardwick. Is this a good crowd tonight? Say yeah. Come on, I want to hear a little more energy. Say yeah. yeah. I feel the power. Everybody get your hands in the air. Get them shaking. Everybody. That's it. Now put your hands on the people next to you. Enjoy yourselves. Go ahead. Boy, this is a good crowd tonight. I'll tell you, it's a pleasure to be here in the Nashville area with the governor, the band, 
Oh, and you all look so wonderful out there. They got me a hotel down here. Oh, boy, nice room. Towels so fluffy, I can barely get my suitcase closed. I mean, this is nice. <laughs> there was a knock at the door. It was the housekeeper. She said, can I clean up? I said, sure. She came in, showered, took off. I checked in, they said, you know, if you make your own bed, it's a lot cheaper. I said, great. She handed me some lumber, a hammer, and some nails. <laughs> Anybody lose any weight over the pandemic? Well, I don't know about you, but I, I got on the scale the other day. It said, one at a time, please. <laughs> I've been on the drinking man's diet. I've lost three weeks. Been down in Florida doing some of the retirement communities down there. You know, they do things a little different down in Florida, those retirement communities. I was invited for an after-dinner drink at 4.30. <laughs> it was a Metamucil tasting. <laughs> you like the orange one or the, the cherry one, I think? I have a friend down there. Uh, Sam Temple, he's, a, he's an author for the, for the uh, older crowd down there in Sarasota. He's written a couple of books. It, first one is a, kind of a, a thriller. It's called Stalker on a Walker. <laughs> and one that's a little spicy, it's called Fifty Shades of Prune. <laughs> I was eating at that new age restaurant down there. It's called Karma. Have you heard about this? Yeah. You, there's no menu, you get what you deserve. <laughs> I'm originally from the Midwest. Anybody here from the Midwest? Woo! Yeah? What street? <laughs> I'm from Indiana. Anybody here from Indiana? Yeah? Indiana, let me make you feel at home. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm from a little small town called Greencastle, Indiana. Land of opportunity if you're a tractor. <laughs> but I'm proud of being from Indiana. I'll tell you, things are simpler there. You know, you ask somebody from Indiana, say, you from around here? They go, mm-hmm. <laughs> say, you lived here your whole life? You say, not yet. <laughs> One time a lady asked me, she said, where are you going, son? I said, I'm going out to California. She said, great, what's your final destination? I said, San Jose. She said, I'm sorry, son, but you don't pronounce the J in California. The J is silent. That's San Jose. Now, how long are you going to be out there? I said, I guess through Yoon and Yulai. I don't know. I can, I can find a job. Uh, but I live in California now where everybody's good looking. It's the law. But with plastic surgery nowadays, you can't tell who's ugly or not anymore. You have to look at their kids. <laughs> you know, I spent eight years of my life at the happiest place on earth, Disneyland in California. I was a comedian there and a band leader. And uh, I ended up writing the thing for the police that protect Disneyland. It's a little thing I said, you know, you guys can get into entertainment. You know, go to, your, go to the trunk of your police car, take out a big boom box, set it on the hood of the police car, and turn it on and start to dance. Ah, 
the best. You're under arrest. But before we go, I want you to know. You have a right to remain silent, even though you've been violent, and everything you say and do could be held as evidence against you. you have an absolute right to phone up your attorney tonight, but come on, man, don't look so sad. Good news mixed in with the bad. You can't afford an attorney, you see? We're going to hire that dude for free. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of the show. You know what? I was over there, and I was thinking, I was laughing so hard, but I was thinking, Boy, wouldn't Trey like to have been arrested more like what you've just described <laughs> than those many times he's ridden in the back of the police car. I just know he would have enjoyed that way more. <laughs> it is great having you here, Dick. It's a great pleasure. All those years at Disney, I mean, that must have been just an incredible experience because you're seeing thousands of different people every single day. Well, when I was the comic in the Golden Horseshoe, five shows a day, five days a week for five years, I eventually learned my lines. I bet you would. But I did have an opportunity to ask the people where are they from, and I could talk back and forth yeah. with the audience, and it sure gave me uh, the confidence to stand up in front of a crowd. Well, we hope you'll stand up in front of our crowd anytime. We love having you. It has been a pleasure. Well, thank you so much. I'll see you soon. Man. I hope so. <laughs> thank you for being here, Dick. Now to see more of his clean down-home comedy and music, or you can book him for your corporate event, visit Dick. Hardwick.com. Hey, Keith, I know we got some other things coming up tonight. Why don't you tell us about it right now? Well, coming up, Samaritan's Purse updates with Edward Graham, then best-selling author Joel C. Rosenberg. Stay with Huckabee. And welcome back. Now, this has been a very difficult week for the people of Haiti. They've been hit by a 7.2 earthquake, which was then followed by a terrible storm. They've been dealt a horrific blow that'll take a lot of time for them to recover. Fortunately, there are a lot of humanitarian organizations that they can look to for help. Chief among them, Samaritan's Purse. And with us now to talk about their relief efforts in Haiti is Edward Graham of Samaritan's Purse. Edward, this was a devastating earthquake, not the first time they've had it. What is the situation that Samaritan's Purse is facing in Haiti and trying to help? Now, Governor, I appreciate you having us on. This is a very challenging because they're still recovering from 10 years ago. Over 10 years ago, they had an earthquake that destroyed large amounts of the infrastructure in the country there. But this earthquake is down in the Lakai area, which is uh, outside south of Port-au-Prince. It's on the peninsula, if you look on the map out there. Uh, we're providing clean drinking water for tens of thousands and plastic for temporary shelters for thousands of people. So it's bad, and uh, they need the love of Jesus Christ down there right now. The situation in Haiti is getting a little overshadowed this week because everyone's focused on Afghanistan. How can people yeah. still help Samaritan's Purse in Haiti because the needs are great? Yeah. The, uh, the church, the local churches, they're responding. We do everything to the local church. These pastors are getting out, even though their own homes and families have been hurt or damaged during this, this earthquake, 
they're going out. So we're helping them with plastic and the water distribution. Um, but if you want to help, you can go to the Samaritan's Purse website. Um, there's information there on whether you want to pray. Uh, we want your prayers first, but to donate. But also, we need doctors and nurses. We're good for now to get the hospital going, but if we have to be there, and we'll be there until we're, we're not needed anymore. I want you to be sure to tell us what's happening this Sunday. Your dad has called for a national day of prayer for the Afghan situation. That's right. This Sunday, August 22nd, we're asking for the whole world to pray for Afghanistan. Man got us in this trouble. Only God can get us out. We need a miracle for the people of Afghan. What a great, great assessment and so very true. Edward Graham, thank you for joining us. Our thanks to Samaritan's Purse for being light in this very dark time for the people of Haiti. And if any of you want to support Samaritan's Purse efforts to reach the people of Haiti, and I hope that you do, please call Samaritan's Purse or visit their website. Give a generous financial gift and let's see how you can pray for them as well. Well, as Afghanistan falls to the Taliban, it's going to become a safe haven for terror groups all over again. My next guest is a best-selling author. He's written extensively on the Middle East as it relates to Israel. He's interviewed leaders throughout the entire Arab world, and he's got some answers for us. Would you please welcome to the show, author of the new book, Enemies and Allies, Joel C. Rosenberg. Well, welcome back. Joel, you have written so many books. This one is a little different, isn't it? It is. I'm usually writing fiction. Uh, starting back when I worked for Rush Limbaugh, my liberal friends <laughs> thought I was writing fiction, but I, I wasn't. But, uh, but yeah, I write political thrillers, but I've been drawn into a political thriller over the last few years, uh, meeting with most of the leaders of the Middle East. And a lot of those you write about, and, and the, the unique thing happened with the Abraham Accords in Israel. It was just stunning. I mean, a lot of people said it would never happen. Right. You'd never bring these parties together to sit down. It did happen when President Trump was president. Yeah. And uh, people thought he was just off his rocker to approach the Middle East completely in a different way than had ever been done before. Did you think that would work out or did you have your misgivings about the approach? Well, I, I struggled at first with a novice president coming in and obviously there was a lot of hoopla uh, yeah. and controversy around Donald Trump. But, but as I describe in the book, uh, there was a moment where I was invited into the Oval Office. I'd never been in there. I'd written a lot of scenes <laughs> in my thrillers about it. But uh, Vice President Mike Pence has been a dear friend for many years. We had lunch at the White House about my meetings with all the Middle East mm -hmm. leaders. They were finishing up their Middle East peace plan. And he said, have you ever met the president? And I said, no. I had been a never-Trumper until yeah. three days before the election. So he walks me in, we sit down, and I have to say, you know, we were talking about these issues and yeah. talking about how to make peace in the Middle East and how to deal with Iran. I describe it in the book, but what I don't say in the book, it, I'll tell you though, was my first thought wasn't, oh good, I'm having the substantive conversation. It was uh, the old Sesame Street ditty, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> one of these things doesn't yeah. belong. There's Trump, there's the vice president, Mike Pompeo, the secretary of state, John Bolton. What am I doing there? Hmm. Um, but this is an extraordinary moment. And I told the president, you are doing game-changing policies and everybody thought you would fail. Would this whole Abraham Accord, is it gonna be affected by what's happening in Afghanistan? 
Yeah, I, I, Israelis, I'll say, I, I'm a dual yeah. U.S.-Israeli citizen. As you know, we spend more time together in Jerusalem than normal here. I see you more there than I do I live here. there. Uh, Israelis are terrified by what's just happened. They are watching a surrender of an American ally by the world's leading superpower. And as we face our main enemies, which is not Afghanistan, but is the realm of radical Islamism, and particularly the Iranian regime, we are, we are not seeing President Biden create confidence no. that he will stick with an ally. And we are being rattled by this. Everybody in the region, all our Sunni Arab allies, Israel, is being rattled. And you've got the Prime Minister of Israel, the new one, Naftali Bennett, coming in to yeah. meet with Biden this week. It's going to be a very interesting meeting. Tell us about the transition, because it was a little bit sloppy to go from Bibi Netanyahu to Naftali Bennett. I've known Naftali. In fact, the first television appearance he ever did was on the show that I used to host on Fox News. Is that right? Wow. And uh, I I usually would visit with him when I'm in Israel. But this is a weird coalition that has been put together. Do you see it working? Is it going to be... Possible. It, to it make is that working work? so far, and I, you know, I, I, I'd be the last person to predict Israeli politics. Yeah. I've only lived there seven years, and we've had five elections. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and I lived in Washington. I thought that was weird before that. But one of the things I describe in Enemies and Allies is we were always going to be coming to a post-Netanyahu era, and yeah. one of the questions is how does any Israeli set of leaders navigate? between a relationship with the United States, which you absolutely want and need, but with, in this case, President Biden going the absolute wrong direction. I think he loves Israel, but I think he doesn't get the Iranian regime. He doesn't get radical Islam. He clearly doesn't get Afghanistan and the Taliban. But we've got these new opportunities. And I I sat down five times with King Abdullah of Jordan, five Mm -hmm. times with President al-Sisi in Egypt, twice for two hours each with the crown prince of uh, Saudi Arabia, MBS, as well as others. What's interesting, and again, as I described in the book, there are books written about these men, yeah. and they've ne- the reporters have never met hmm. these leaders. But they invited me in as an evangelical Israeli. Imagine that. The crown prince of yeah. Saudi Arabia yeah. sitting down with a Jewish, Israeli, American, uh, with two kids who've served in the Israeli army. Why? And then he let us ask, Every single question, tough questions about Khashoggi, about why don't you have a single church that you allow in your entire country? So the current new Israeli leadership has to figure out how do they navigate if America is retreating and that they can't possibly trust the leaders in Washington. That's a scary environment for Israel. It is, and it's a scary time. I think your book is coming out. I mean, who could have imagined when you wrote it that it would be so very timely? Joel C. Rosenberg is with us tonight, and uh, we want to say thanks to the insights that he's given us. I hope you will pre-order his book. It comes out September the 7th. The book is called Enemies and Allies. And on September the 7th is the official release date. You can get it wherever books are sold. Also, let me mention this. Joel is the founder and editor-in-chief of two news and analysis websites. I think you'll want to check these out. One of them is called allisrael.com and the other, allarab.news. Excellent sources of information about the Middle East. Speaking of analysis, Keith has been analyzing the show, and I think he's got the perfect way that we're going to finish, so we're going to let him break the news. Oh, I've got you covered. I think Country Music's Grammy Award winner, Billy Dean, is a perfect finish to the night show. You're watching Huckabee.
I got to admit, I'm a little kind of bummed out about the song because Trey said he was going to dedicate that song to me. Linda Ronstadt's song, You're No Good. That hurts. He only thought he was in trouble with his mother-in-law a few weeks ago. Boy, he's in trouble with me. Let me tell you about our next guest. Billy Dean started his music career when he was only eight years old, singing in his father's country rock band in Florida. Since then, Billy has become a musical force as a singer, songwriter, and a country music star. He's had, get this, 11 number one hits, including Somewhere in My Broken Heart, If There Hadn't Been You, and one of the classics, Billy the Kid. I want you to welcome back to the show one of our absolute favorites. We all love and adore him. Would you please welcome Billy Dean? Do you see me all right? I love the shirt. Man, I love it. You're going to love this. This is... This was designed by a drummer, John. So if you want to get in the, mind, in the side of the mind of a drummer, yeah. just take a look at that. that. That's kind of, I think it fits. Yeah, no you know, doubt. John no Hammond, doubt. our drummer, I'm sure will say, man, I relate to that. I can, <laughs> I can read that. You are coming to us, and I'm so grateful that you came. You've just been in California, exposed to a lot of the wildfires, and... I couldn't talk. I couldn't utter a word this morning, Governor. I was so it was my worst showbiz nightmare. You, you, uh, which is getting laryngitis before yeah. a national TV show. It hadn't happened in thirty years, and it had to happen today. So I uh, drank a lot of water. And by the way, yeah. I had a little bit of your special barbecue sauce in the dressing room, and it yeah. kind of helped it. Up I, a I bet bit. that's all good stuff. <laughs> um, let's talk. Because you're not going to be able to sing, but we're going to have someone sing. Thank you're going to you play that. because, you know, we, we don't want to have you injure your voice. But the song, Billy the Kid, there's a special connection with your dad. I want you to tell us about You know, as I've gotten older, um, these songs, the lyrics of these songs mean something different. Now, um, I moved back to Florida, uh, North Florida, where I'm from, and um, I got a box of letters and newspaper clippings from World War II. Mm. And I didn't know hardly any of this information about my dad. And they had, he was in a, a special paratrooper. They wrote a book about his unit. And, um, and you know, my dad always wanted me to be able to hold on to my innocence. I think that's why those guys went over there so yeah. that we could just be kids. And I never expected that that theme would be running throughout my music. Songs like Let Them Be Little, Men Will Be Boys, and mm. I Miss Billy the Kid. But when I sing, I miss Billy the Kid, the times that he had, the life that he lived, I guess he must have got caught, his innocence lost. I think about my dad and that World War II uh, information that I've been learning. It's, it's going to be a, a, a 50 letters that I have from uh, my dad and his two brothers. He lost two brothers in that war. So uh, it's, it's, it's a passion project and, a, and one that I'm really learning a lot of, of things about. Billy, you have uh, always just been a phenomenal singer-songwriter. Thank you. Uh, you know, we, we didn't bring you here just to talk. We want to have some music. Thank you. To save your voice, we brought a special vocalist in to sing the song you were going to sing cool. under this condition. Okay. Promise me that when you get your voice back, right. you come back to the oh. Huckabee Show and we, sing for us again. If you would have me, I will. We'll always I sure have will. Billy Dean. Thank you. <laughs> There's nobody we had rather have. We, we love having you here. Thank you. And I want our audience to get a lot more of you and your music. The best way to find out how to do that is turn that 
task over to Keith Bilbrey, who knows just how to tell the folks to get your music. You can purchase all of Billy Dean's music, find his concert dates and more by going to his website, billydean.com. Now, performing Billy Dean's 1992 number one hit, Billy the Kid, with Trey Corley and the Music City Connection, Billy Dean on guitar, and Mike on bass. Here's Sam Mullins. Strapped on my holster low, crossed my hips. Two cold forty fives with white practice grips. And I'd head west through our neighborhood. And they'd say, here comes young Billy, and he's up to no good. Yeah. A trail through the neighbor's backyard Shooting the bad guys through my handlebars Known for my bravery both far and near Being late for supper was my only fear To be on, there's such a thin line between right and wrong. I'm living. 